take your Bibles, to, your Bible tonight, and turn to First Samuel, and chapter number seventeen. Remember First Samuel? First Samuel. It's been a while. We're gonna kill that giant. He's not falling tonight, but he's going to fall in the near future, all right? We, we're going to get him down. It's just taking a while. We're winding up, <laughs> right? Getting that sling going. <clears throat> yeah, the raspberries have their daughter here. That's a blessing. And, and ours already going back home, right? You're flying back. And so they, they had a little one, uh, Ezra James, cute little guy. He, they're going to be around here for a little bit and got a head full of hair. I'm all jealous. I mean to tell you, I just, he's got a lot of hair. It's awesome. Okay, so we're in 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 31. Actually, verse 30, I'm sorry, wrote it down wrong. Verse number 30. This is right after Eliab had belittled his little brother, David, and uh, called him selfish for being there on the battlefield as Goliath is taunting. We'll review a little bit as we get into it. And David had just said, is there not a cause? Can I, can I stay quiet about this? How can I be quiet when he's defying the armies of the living God? Somebody ought to speak up about this. So David did. I love verse 30. I kind of overlooked verse 30. It's re one reason I'm glad we've kind of slowed this chapter down and not get in a hurry. Look at it. It says, and he turned from him, uh, turned from Eliab. Look what it says. Toward another. David didn't let it go. <laughs> he didn't drop it. He said, I'm not done talking about this. Now he's not being arrogant and haughty. He's just saying, I, I can't let this go when, when this is going on. So he turned to another. Eliab wouldn't listen. So he turned to another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, who, by the way, was king, of course, and he sent for him. Saul did. And David, <clears throat> David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able you know, it's amazing to me that David had to get past Eliab and past Saul before he ever got to Goliath. Saul says, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept thy father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. <laughs> Come on, you got to love that. Don't say the Bible's boring. Thy, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover... Boy, when he started talking, he sure did, didn't he? David, uh, and he's not talking smack, by the way. He's just, he's just fired up spiritually. And David said, moreover, the Lord, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. <laughs> All right, that's what needs to happen. It's interesting that Saul said that. Look at his next action, though. Verse 38. 
And Saul armed David with his armor, with Saul's armor. And he, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword, Saul's sword, upon his armor, and he is saved to go, for he had not proved it. In other words, he tried to move about in it. And here he is, he's probably under 20 years old. And here's tall Saul, who's given him his armor. And I, I, it had to swallow David. You know. The main thing is, is David hadn't proved it. Look at verse number 39, uh, the latter part, for he had not proved it. And, and David, David said, I'm, I'm still reading verse 39. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not what? I have not proved them. And David put them off him. What did he take then in battle? Well, look what he took in verse 40. And he took his staff. It'd be like, it'd be this, a stick. A stick. I mean, you know, you're fighting somebody and they're up close and it'd probably help. Just a stick, a shepherd's stick, a staff in his hand and chose him out five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. And we'll stop our reading right there. Boy, that's a bummer, isn't it? To stop right. How do you stop right there? Let him throw the stone. <laughs> right? no. no, we're going to stop right there. Come back in two weeks. All right. So this is terrible. Amen. All right. First Samuel 17. We're looking at it. So may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, we, uh, we use the terminology, don't we, tried and true. Tried and true. It's one of those uh, sayings or idioms that we have, tried and true. Man, that's tried and true. That's try He's tried and true. She's tried and true. A tried and true method, a tried and true approach, a tried and true fishing bait. I've uh, tried that crankbait. Man, that's a tried and true. That's my favorite bait. Somebody might say, I, I've tried it and, and it's proven to be true. A tried and true sales technique or a tried and true author. That's a good writer. You can test it. Well, tried and true means this. Tested and found reliable. Tested and found reliable. Proved to be good. Tried and true. True, proved rather to be good. Uh, Cambridge has this used many times in the past and so proven to work well. Used many times in the past and proven to work well. So here's David and he says um, about the armor that Saul was given to him and we'll, we'll come back to that in just a few moments. But he says, I, I, have, I can't use those because I haven't proved them. I ha they haven't been tested by me. I haven't tried them. They're not tried and true. I will stick with what has proven true. And so the title of the message tonight, by the way, is this. Trust the proven. Trust the proven. Or you might even say it this way. Trust the trustworthy. Trust the trustworthy. The size and uh, threatening speech of Goliath uh, was intimidating to the warriors of Israel. I mean, they had fought battles. Saul himself was a tall man, but 
Goliath. I mean, isn't it amazing that even in the, in the world that does it, that's outside the world of biblical Christianity, that they'll talk about David and Goliath because it, it shows just, uh, uh, you know, what an underdog, you know, so to speak, that David was. And so the world's picked up on that, but you and I are privileged to know uh, the, the background to this. Well, listen, the main problem with Goliath, Goliath, even though he is nine foot nine, was not his size and it wasn't his threatening speech. Here was the real problem. The children of Israel, instead of being a servant of the Lord, they were the servants of Saul. And as the servants of Saul, in fact, even, even Goliath said that, ye be the servants of Saul. Well, being servants of Saul, they weren't ready to fight. And so they cowered down. And for 40 days, Goliath made his way to that battlefield of Elah and said, send me a man that we may fight. Send me a man that we may fight. No one came, not even Saul, who they years prior, had wanted a king that they might be like all the other nations. In fact, they said in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse uh, number uh, 20 or so, yeah, 8, 20, they said, we want a king that can lead us into battle like all the other kings of the nations. Those kings, they have kings that have a helmet of brass. They have kings that have a coat of mail. They have kings that, that uh, have a, a sharp sword. We want a king like that king. Well, where's their king now? Hiding out in his tent while a defiant giant, oh, there it is. That just totally came to me right there. A defiant giant was standing on the battlefield taunting them saying, send me a man. Well, was there not a man among Israel that would fight? Well, there wasn't a man, but there was a boy. They would look at him as a boy. Saul looked at him as a boy. He said, you're, you're a young man. You can't fight this giant. And the military age was 20. So I would suspect that David was under 20. He couldn't, he didn't go to battle with his other brothers. It may be that he, he maybe he was a little bit over 20, but they had already sent three into the battle. I'm talking about Jesse had already sent three. So it may be that he's over 20, but nonetheless, I mean, he was young. It's obvious that, that Saul was saying, listen, you're just a youth. But, but here's the difference in David. David heard the same thing that the people of Israel were hearing. They heard this defiant giant day after day, defying the armies of the living God. In fact, defying God and saying, he must not be a real God. If nobody's doing anything about it here, the, he must not be a real God. And I just wonder what all else that, that, that uh, uh, what's his name, Goliath, was taunting and what he was saying. And, and so David heard the same thing that they heard, but he heard it differently. He said, uh, this ought not go on. This ought not be said this way about our God. He's reproaching the word defy, used five times in the text. Reproach, or defy rather, means reproach, blaspheme. It means to set it, to set it not, or to set it nothing, the strength of an enemy. It's to say this, you're nothing. You're nothing. Now, who in the right mind would say to the true living God, you're nothing? And your people are nothing. But that's exactly what Goliath was saying. You're nothing. You're, it's not even real. They were, he was defying them. Uh, as I looked it up a little bit further, it means this. The word defy means to heap shame on them. He was heaping shame on the people of Israel and thus, by default, heaping shame on their God. Well, David had a different worldview. He was basically saying this. Doesn't the fact of a living God make a difference? When you start with a living God, no matter what size he is, that makes a difference. 
And so God's honor was at stake. I want to reiterate with you that I don't think David rushed out on that battlefield there just out of a sense of adventure. Although young men under 20 are quite prone to know, to do that, do things that aren't smart, like jump off a bridge, uh, bungee jump, skydive. And there's older people that do this too, I realize, but but, you know, the famous last words of a young redneck, hey, watch this. I mean, it's just, it's just part of our DNA, right? But that wasn't what drove David out there, was that sense of adventure and youthfulness and, and desire for fame. I mean, we're, we're living in the YouTube generation, the TikTok generation, where, where there's TikTok challenges and, and people that do things just to get, you know, uh, so many views. Hey, David wasn't out there to get so many views, he wasn't out there to be famous. He wasn't out there for them to sing, David has killed his 10,000s. No, listen, friend, that wasn't anywhere in his radar. But here's what was on his radar, God and his honor. And he said, somebody ought not talk about God like this. And so Eliab, his own brother, had put him down and, and, and said, you know, you're just out here because of the naughtiness of your heart. And, and so David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a word that ought to be said right here? In other words, he's saying, how can I be silent when God's honor, not my comfort, not my reputation, but God's honor is at stake? See, you handle things differently when you're focused on God's honor rather than your own comfort. And so David didn't drop the matter. I, I, as I already mentioned, but I love verse 30. Hadn't really ever noticed it before, but he said something to, the, to another person. Eliab wouldn't listen, so he talked to somebody else. He talked to somebody else and he said the same exact thing. And so word got all the way back to, to King Saul and King Saul brings David in. And look at verse number 32 again, if you would. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart what? Fail. It literally means this, don't let it drop. Hang on, wait a minute. When, when, in a time when it's essential for the people of God to have courageous hearts, David was looking around and seeing everybody's heart had fallen. Um, can I remind you here today, this is a day and time in which courageous Christians are needed. Courageous men that'll lead their families, courageous uh, men and ladies that'll stand together, courageous, courageous young people that'll take a stand, courageous children that'll live for God. Hey, I'm glad there's no age limit on living for God. I love that little kids come up here on the platform to shake hands, you know, with the preacher and, and the church staff and others. I, I love that. I, I, we had a group of college students come down all the way from the balcony to the platform. I love it. Good job. Hey, this is not a time for us to have faint hearts. Amen. It's a time for courage and boldness. And, and, and by the way, okay, let me just have a little, bit of a, a little bit of a talk along the way. Don't quench the zeal of the youth who have a heart for God. Amen. Don't quench their zeal. Now, here's what I think is going to happen. I believe there's going to be some young people that hear Brother Park Sutton preach the Bible and they're going to come back on fire for God. Let's not say, well, that won't last very long. Oh, no, let, let's, let's, let's stoke the fire. Let's blow on it. Let's say, well, let, let's, let's go. Let's, let's work together here, young and old working together. Hey, don't, don't quench the fire. I thought about, I thought about uh, new believers that, that are here even tonight. I mean, you've just recently been saved. Those of you that are older believers, stay happy in the Lord. Don't let your Christian service get old. Don't be a wet blanket. 
Here in just a few short weeks, we'll have, uh, we'll have some first-year Bible college students come. Man, I, I, I've met, a, I've met a, a good number of them already that they say, hey, I'm coming, we're coming, we're coming. And they're zealous, big old zeal, little old knowledge. It's awesome. It's awesome. But you know, and on, to be honest with you, I'd much rather have somebody that's really zealous than somebody that has a bunch of knowledge and not doing a thing. And, and so I'm glad for some young men and young ladies that come and maybe they need to be tempered. Every now and then they need to be held back a little bit or pulled back. I understand that. But I'd much, I'd much, I'd much rather have a horse that you kind of have to hold back every now and then than one that you have to just really kick to try to get going. All right. So, hey, by the way, if it had not been for the zeal of this young man, the whole nation could have been wiped out. I wonder if God's not going to stir up some young men and some young women out of our own church and, and out of churches across the United States of America. I, I just, I've got in my, in my soul, in my heart, that with all these youth conferences and youth rallies and youth camps, that, that, and I don't know the time frame in which things are on in terms of God's time frame, but I just wonder with the state of events, if God's not making a final push in the United States of America. Would you mind if I just go ahead and believe that and you join in on believing that, that God's not done, but that God still loves people and he still wants to save people and we ought to be a church that's revived and a church that's on fire for God and not just barely getting by, but one that says, oh God, would you please speak to us again and please work in this generation and, and God, the need is great, so please call forth labors into his harvest. I believe God is still at work in the young and old alike and here it was, a young man that God used to, to bring Bring them to, to victory and to even survival. He stood before Saul and Saul said, you're too young. He's a man of war. He's a veteran, don't you understand? He's a veteran. He's been fighting wars from his youth. You haven't even fought a battle yet. Saul uh, embodied human wisdom. And, and honestly... Nine foot nine versus how generous should we be with David? Five foot seven? Yay. Um, say five foot 12. <laughs> just kidding, six foot. <laughs> just wondering if you're still awake. Let's, let's say five foot 10. I mean, let's, let's say he's a fairly tall Jew. Jews weren't really known for being tall. I mean, Saul is kind of an exception. But let, let's, say he's, let's say he's a young, I mean, say he's right around 5'10", 5'11". 9 foot 9 versus 5 foot 10, 180 pounds, maybe. No, probably not. 165 pounds, that's probably more range. 9 foot 9, giant Goliath, 325 pounds. I don't know. More than that? Okay, let's go with more than that. It just sounds better in preaching even. More than that. This is a big dude. That's bottom line. It's obvious. I mean, really, humanly speaking, Saul is making sense. But he didn't calculate everything in. He left something, or actually, let me say it this way. He left someone out of that equation. And so he said to David, David, um, this isn't going to work, son. I appreciate your zeal. I appreciate your, you know, just 
your spunk. It's, it's awesome. I love it. I, I remember when I used to be like that. I don't know what other kind of conversations they could have had, but, but I, I love your zeal, but you're just a young man. You can't do that. I, and, and aren't you glad David didn't say something like this? Well, sir, I appreciate your consideration. And you know, I, I sure hope you find somebody and just walked on out. David didn't let it go. He didn't let it go with Eliab. He didn't let it go with anybody else. And he didn't let it go with Saul. He said, wait a minute, king. The, the Lord, I, I've had some experience here. As you, you look at the text and he says, he, uh, I'm sorry, Saul said, thou art not able. But David said, you know, uh, actually Saul, thy servant was keeping my father's sheep and a lion came and took one out of the flock and hauled him off. And I threw a stone at that critter and I hit that, that lion and he turned and wanted to fight me. So I grabbed him by his beard and I killed him. Is that how it was? That's how he said it was. That was with the lion and then with the bear. Same thing. Bear came in and, and grabbed one of those little lambs and was going off with it. And again, David took that sling perhaps or whatever it was he used and, and, and got its attention and nailed it. And, and that bear turned around and then came after him and it was on. Here he is, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe 17 years old, 16 years old. I, you, we were on vacation up in Pagosa Springs and Brother Adam Albach, pastors of Pagosa Baptist Church, and uh, his son Sean is 16 years old, and, and they hunt mountain lions there, and, and you have to, you know, of course, uh, put in for a draw, and you get a tag, and you get to hunt a, a mountain lion. It's very rare that you actually get drawn, but he and his dad both got drawn, and his dad killed a mountain lion, and, and I mean, they're real, they wreak havoc on animals out there, sheep and goats and, and uh, cattle and such. I mean, a big old mountain lion, and I saw, I saw Sean, he'd, he'd, he'd killed a mountain lion, not with his hands, he used a rifle, but nonetheless, I was pretty impressed. We doing all right? He's got this mountain lion holding him up by his arms and, and Sean's taller than I am. He's 16 years old, but he's taller than I am, but he can't pick this mountain lion up off the ground. He's that big. I was impressed. It's pretty awesome. Here's David. And he says, listen, I've, I've had some experience here. I fought a lion and God gave me victory. I fought a bear and God gave me victory. And, and this here is this Philistine that's defying the armies of the living God and defying God. And the same God, oh, listen to this, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me from the paw, I mean the hand of Goliath. Same thing. Here's what David was doing. David was looking back in faith to look forward in faith. I like how, how uh, Dale Davis goes on to say this. He says, what the Lord has done in the wilderness of Judah with the lion and the bear, he was able to do in the Valley of Elah. The rich history of God's goodness nurtures faith in current dilemmas. The Lord, oh, I like this too. You'll like it as well, I'm sure. The, if you do, say it with a hearty amen. The Lord is the same among the sheep as in front of the, the Philistines. If he can take care of his sheep, he can take care of his army. I mean, listen, there's no restraint to God to save, whether by many or by few, by weak or by strong. God is able, friend. God is able. And what we need to do is in those moments when we're overcome is trust the trustworthiness of our God. He's proven true in the past. We can trust him today. We can trust him today. And so Saul says, God bless you, son. The Lord be with you. Now let me get you some armor. Oh, hang on. Wait, mate. did you feel that transition? 
Did you, did you feel what went on right there? No, no, wait a minute. He said, the Lord be with you. I, I hear you. He delivered you from that and that. Well, he'll deliver you here. The Lord bless you. Now, let me get my armor for you. I'm telling you that Saul, that he, in fact, this is just another manifestation as to why Saul was disqualified from being the king of Israel because he was human thinking. He was humanistic in his thinking. He was driven by his, what he could do. And so he said to David, David, if you're gonna do this, you need to be like all the kings of Israel. You, you need to be like I am. If you're going to do battle, son, then you need to wear the helmet of brass. You need to wear the coat of mail. You, you need also to have the sword on your side. You, you need to go in there armored and looking. Listen, David, you need to look like one of the kings that lives around here. Well, how much had that helped Saul? <laughs> Uh, royal clothing evidently didn't guarantee a victory. Fitting in with the nations around you didn't put you in a place of victory. Being like all the other nations, I, I was struck with this. Ralph Bergen is a man that pointed this out. I hadn't even thought about it, that here is, here is, is King Saul whom they wanted to be like a king like all the other nations. And he's saying to David, David, you've got to dress the part, son, or you won't have any hope in this. At the same time, he's saying the Lord be with you. Which is it? Can I, can I say to everyone here tonight that fitting in with the world will still leave you powerless when it really matters? You can have all the possessions that this world has and still lose your family. You can put on the world's apparel, but I'll tell you what it'll do, what it'll do you better. Instead of putting on the world's apparel, be clothed with humility. You see, Saul's weapons were made by man. Ugh. Is everybody following this? It's just making sense right here. We're going somewhere with it. I hope you sense that we are. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul, I'm sorry, the, the Philistines had even taken the measure of saying, let's make sure that we de-arm them. They didn't believe in the Second Amendment. So they're going to remove all their weapons. So they removed all their swords. Am I, am I telling the truth? That's what they did. They said, let's take away all their weapons. And, and, and so it was so bad that only Saul and Jonathan had a, had a sword. But those swords... I mean, as impressive as they are, I mean, I, I'm impressed by swords, probably just like every man is in here, you know, and, and perhaps others. But, but I mean, you see that, that sword, but it's forged by fire and by hammering and, and by filing it down. But watch this. It's made by man. It's man-made. Now, Goliath had those man-made weapons. And so Saul, it's interesting, he was trying to get David to be a replica or to be just like Goliath, only a shabby copy of him. Isn't it ironic that Goliath was not defeated with a man-made weapon, but David went over to the wash or the creek bed there that was maybe dried up or still flowing and he picked up five stones. 
and put him in his shepherd's script and his pouch and, and he took the stick. That stick was made by God. <laughs> and those stones were made by God. And I believe Goliath was expecting somebody to step out of there on that battlefield wearing the helmet and wearing the coat of mail and drawing a sword and he would have called it a dinky sword. But he didn't see that, he didn't see that stone coming till it, till it was too late. And he got a good look at it. I'm not going to do that again. If you miss it, I'm sorry. He was defeated by a God-made stone. David says, I can't wear this. I just wonder what it's like when he put that on and he's trying to walk around and he can't hardly move, you know, because it's not his size. Now, and by the way, David would eventually wear, he would wear some of those those, those type of clothes. He would eventually do that. He would be the king of Israel. But I'm telling you, David was a king of Israel, not after the pattern of the nations that was around them, but David was a king after the pattern of Deuteronomy 17 about what God said a king ought to be. And as long as David patterned his kingship after what God said, he had victory. But when David acted like the kings of the earth that tried to amass women unto himself and, and power to himself, then he saw defeat just like any other king. Let's see. So what, what did David do then? I'll tell you what he did. David went into the battle being the man that God made him to be. He went into the battle being the man that God made him to be. You, you know what you need to do in the battles of life that you face? Be the man or be the woman that God made you to be. We don't need to try to be somebody else. I've had that pressure on me along the way. You know, even as a preacher, there's things that a preacher can learn from other preachers. But a preacher ought not try to be like somebody else or preach like somebody else because it's kind of like somebody wearing a toupee. You can kind of look at them and say, well, you know, that looks natural enough, but that's not really his real hair. Yeah. If I try to preach like Dave McCracken or I try to preach like Sam Davidson or I try to preach like a Kenny Ball, and pretty much you're going to figure out that's not him. Are you following this? But here's what we ought to do. do just be the man that God made you to be. Be the person that God made you to be. And, and so, in fact, in, why, oh, mercy. instead of him fitting in with the kings that were around there, he needed to be different by being who God made him to be. And so what did he do? David went out there on that battlefield looking like who he was, and that was a shepherd. In fact, so much so that Goliath's going to taunt him and say, what am I, a dog? That you come to me with sticks and stones? I mean, friend, listen. He came out there looking more like Abraham. He went out there looking more like uh, Isaac. He went out there looking more like Jacob. He went out there looking more like Judah. All of them are shepherds, by the way. He, he went out there looking more like a shepherd named Moses who carried a stick. He went out there on that battlefield looking like a shepherd because that's who he was. And he identified with the people of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and others that were just mere shepherds. He identified with them rather than the King Saul's of the earth that were mighty in their apparel. He identified with the people of faith rather than the people of the world. And that's how God gave them the victory. 
And so what you and I need to do is stop trying to mess around, acting like or trying to be like the world that's around us and just be the shepherds that God has made us to be with simple weapons such as the Word of God and prayer and say, you know, I don't think we need to try to be like all the other churches that's around. Because I tell you what happens when a church starts trying to rock out, they look like a shabby copy of the real thing. Some people that couldn't make it in heavy metal or make it in rock and roll, they make it in churches across the nation because they're not good enough to play in some other areas, but they'll make it in some local churches. And they're a shabby example of what the other is. You say, well, that's not very nice to say. Well, it's true. And what, what has been sad is that you even have preachers that get enamored with the music of the world and you have leaders way back even in the 90s like a Rick Warren who literally said what you need to do is go out there in the community and find out what kind of music that the people like in that community and then you bring that into the church so that you draw the community in the church. In other words, he's saying we've got to become like the world if we're going to reach the world. How about we just go with a, how about we just go with a stick and a stone? How about we just go with a sling? How about we just start thundering forth the word of God and praying earnestly God would save souls and trust the Holy Spirit of God to do what you and I can't do with smoke and screens and rock bands and, and, and hip pastors. I'm not here to try to be a Saul. I want to be a David. Now I trust that there's other Davids and Davidas right here. Feminine form of David, don't you know? She's <laughs> totally inserted that. But people of God who say, you know, we don't have to be like the world to try to reach the world. That's the age old problem of the people of God is they try to fit in with the nations around them that are being defeated. Instead of standing on the battlefield and saying, you know, I want to live for God's honor. And that's why we had a holiness youth conference rather than a worldly youth conference. And that's why our teens are driving 14 hours through the night to get to a camp that's been just like it was when I was a teenager. Literally, the camp that we, Angie and I and Becca and, 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 and a number of others that are in here, that we went to the same exact, not the same campgrounds, but the same, the same group of pastors that have the same, same standards, same Bible, same type of preaching, same type of tabernacle atmosphere, same type of confrontational preaching. No rock bands, no playing games. I mean, other than just the sports games and other things like that. And they have a good time. I don't think you have to be a young person to have a dull life. But you better understand this. You're preparing for a real battle ahead of you. And what you don't need is more play. PlayStation or more whatever game system it is that you're on. You don't need more of that, but what you really need is more Bible in your life and more prayer in your life and more Holy Spirit conviction in your life and more holiness in your life, not less. Because otherwise you go out to that battlefield and you're not prepared for the giant that is taunting you. A man named Alex Jacobo came here for the MRI back in May. I met him. He was the brother of, of a Spanish pastor in Farmington. But I did not know his story then, but I know his story now. Alex Jacobo, I think is how you say it, or Jaco Jacobo. Um, it's Hispanic, as you can tell. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> he, uh, he told me his story. He was on the church staff down in Tampa, Florida of a church that was running 15,000. And he was on the worship band. 
and here, here was his testimony to me. He said, I went to youth camp and I saw the smoke machines and I saw the lights and I knew what I was playing on that electric guitar. But I, for the first time, I saw it as a form of manipulation in the lives of those young people. And he sent the videos to his brother, who's an independent fundamental Baptist preacher in Farmington. And he said, brother, you, you need, for the sake of your boys that you're raising. And, and here's what Alex said about his brother's sons, his nephews. He said, you know, there's something different about your boys. Something that I like. And he said, you're not going to get that in that environment. So he literally went into the church office and talked to the pastor there, that 15,000 member church in Tampa and said, my family and I are going to be leaving. And he walked away from a, probably a lucrative job to move to Farmington, New Mexico. And the rest of the church staff said, where are you moving? Farmington. <laughs> Where's Farmington? It's a real good question. But he moved there and he's soaking it up. You know what he did? He said, um, these haven't been proven. This coat of mail has not been proven. That slick sword of a guitar band has not been proven like just the simple preaching and teaching of the Bible without the manipulation to get young people to do what they, you want them to do. And here are young people that are preparing for battle. And I'm preaching this tonight because our young people are at camp. And, then, and I trust the providential hand of God in the timing of all things. We saw it this morning, didn't we, church? And yes, I've been out more than even I like to be out, you know, and just answering God's call in my life to preach. And I try to stage it out to where I'm only gone a certain number of times in the, in the summer, you know, and, and I've added a couple meetings because of like a Bob Williams and then a, a Noah Broughton that I have a relationship with. And it just kind of feels full. But, but, but listen, here's, here's what I believe is going on. I believe God is stirring up some young people across this land. And what needs, what needs to happen is not just for young people to get stirred up, but for the rest of the churches across the land to have a Holy Ghost revival, a heaven sent Holy Spirit revival that's based on God's word and people of God getting clean, getting right with God and saying, oh God, would you help us to be on fire for you and zealous for you? Because the last thing that a young person needs is to come back and find a dead church. God's teaching them things in the wilderness of Judah that they'll need on the battlefield of Elah. And the same is true in our lives. May God help us here tonight to say, I'm not going to trust the weapons of man. And let, let, me, add, let me add this, okay? <clears throat> Parents, let me encourage you. Grandparents, and all of us, let's not say this. Some young person comes forward and they say, I want to, I'm surrendering my life to the Lord. Let's not say this to them. That's good, son. That's good, daughter. The Lord be with thee. Now, let's get you a real education over here. You listen to me? But, you know, you're going to need to have another skill in case that preaching thing doesn't work out for you or some, something else. You, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, uh, let's get you an accreditation. 
Let's get you a real education or let's, let's get you some real money. And, and you know, I, I don't want my son or my daughter to be poor. And, and if they go into ministry, they surely will. Listen, you can listen to the devil. You can listen to Satan all day long and be deceived and confused about what life is all about. I'm telling you, the American dream has, has put many believers to sleep and left them delusional about what life's really about. It's not about the material things of here and now. It's, life is about God and eternal things that matter matter for all of eternity. And, and it, whether that young person says, I think I'm supposed to be an engineer, a police officer, a nurse, a teacher, we ought to support all the above. In fact, I think we ought to design a card that says, what do you believe God wants you to do? And let them kind of fill that in because we ought to be just as much to support of those that say, I believe God wants me to be a public school teacher as we do some young man that says, I believe God wants me to be a pastor. The bottom line is this, what does God want? What does God want? And then let's get behind them and support them in that with great zeal and fervency and prayer and say, oh, God, please use these young people. Use this young man. Use this young family. Help them. And yes, they've got zeal and not much knowledge. That'll come later. But right now, let's just, let's let them take up the sling and the stone and the stick and get out there and fight the giants. David prepared. He really was prepared for the Goliath of the battlefield because he was going to go out there trusting the one who'd already proven trustworthy. I heard it today, Brother Brian, as I was just kind of listening in as you were getting things started down in the sixth grade. How does God talk to us? Young man raised his hand, young man that was in the VBS class that I taught, and he said, through the Bible. I thought, yes, got something out of it. And he said, now, how do we talk to God? And young lady raised her hand and said, through prayer. And they were both right. The word of God, God speaks to us through prayer. We speak to him. Now, if that's how you have a relationship with God through the Bible and through prayer, then let me ask this. And how's your relationship? Well, that was good reasoning right there. I walked up the basement thinking, whoa, how's my relationship with God? I'm asking you tonight, how's yours? When a nation needs revival, there's got to be churches like Southwest Baptist Church. It says, God, we want to trust you because you are trustworthy. Father, thank you tonight. I enjoyed studying this passage and thinking through it, praying through it, trying to apply it. Lord, uh, with our young people at camp and juniors just coming back from camp, youth conference coming up, a lot of emphasis on youth. I don't believe, dear God, an overemphasis given the amount of your word that's addressed to that area of life because they're young and simple prone to foolishness. God, I pray that you'd help us to prepare them to face the challenges of life by encouraging them to have a real relationship with you. And so, Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. And help us, Lord, to never turn to worldly means, man-made devices, to do a work that can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here today. Some are coming to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Uh, others may be coming for various uh, needs. If you want to come and talk to someone about a spiritual need in your life or just have a word of prayer, let's, let's just uh, have a time at the altar here tonight.